All right, good evening everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Pag-usapan natin to. I am Christian Entrata and I will be your moderator for tonight. So before I give you a brief background about Pag-usapan natin to, I'll first delve into Sugod Seleman. So what is Sugod Seleman? Sugod Seleman is an initiative to contribute to the survival of Philippine democracy. Sugod intends to educate the youth, especially the youth of Negros of their duty and responsibility as citizens mm-hmm. to practice their suffrage, enhance their knowledge on basic political ideologies, the structure of the government, and democracy. And of course, this is to encourage and emphasize that we really need to register to vote and of course, vote on election day itself. And Sugud Seleman is brought to you by the Seleman University Student Government. Now on to Pag-usapan natin to. So Pag-usapan natin to is a limited series weekly live podcast that will launch today, August 25, 2021, and will run until September 30, 2021. It will be every 6 p.m. via Facebook Live. And this podcast, we hope that through this podcast, we can provide an avenue where we can educate listeners about democracy, politics, critical thinking, and government, and of course, the role of the youth in nation building. And for the very first episode, we will have the theme, Gobierno, How well do you know our local or national government? And tonight, we have esteemed speakers, esteemed guests with us to help enlighten us about the said topic. And I could, I could not wait to introduce them to you. So without further ado, allow me to introduce our very first guest for tonight. So our first guest is a lawyer, a manager, a law professor, an arbitrator, and many more. Currently, he is a partner of Humwad Benidian Montenegro, or JBM Law Office, a law professor at Foundation University, and the operations and legal director at Sites, of Sites at Scale, rather, Incorporated, and the overall in charge as well of its sister company, WorkPod Incorporated. He is an accredited arbitrator of the Philippine International Center for Conflict Resolution, and he has completed and passed the written evaluation for the pre Judicature Program of the Philippine Judicial Academy, and he is also a member of the bar since 2015. He graduated cum laude in Bachelor of Law and ranked third place in the civil service exam. Ladies and gentlemen and everyone in the gender spectrum, please help me welcome Attorney Pablito Cuico Benidian Jr. or Attorney Jung Benidian. Good evening, sir. Uh, good evening, Christian. Uh, thank you for your uh, very good um, introduction. All right. Now on to our next guest, we also have a very special guest. We are very honored to have him with us tonight. So he served as the provincial vice governor of the province of Negros Occidental in 1988 to 1992. In the years 1992 to 2001, he served as the provincial governor of the province of Negros Occidental. Meanwhile, in the years 2003 to 2004, he served as the presidential advisor and cooperatives at the office of the president in Malacanang. He also served as a presidential advisor for Region 6 at the office of the president in Malacanang in the years 2004 up until 2007. And since um, 2001 up until present, he is a local, local governance and local economic development consultant and lecturer or mentor to various organizations. Ladies and gentlemen, and once again, everyone in the gender spectrum, please help me welcome Sir Rafael L. Coscoluela. Good evening, sir. Hi, good evening. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for right. the invitation. Welcome to the show. And as I have mentioned earlier, we will be talking about how well we know the local government. So our goal for tonight is to educate our viewers, our listeners, 
about the structure, the function, and the importance of our national government. We will now start off with the very first question for the night, which will be focused on how the government of the Philippines is structured. And as we all know, we always refer to it as a republic government, but oftentimes we also interchange it with a democratic government. And the line between the two gets blurry sometimes. So I'd like to ask um, Attorney Jong, what's the difference between a republic and a democratic government? Or is there even a difference or is it even appropriate to compare these two concepts or two ideologies? Yeah, our government is a both a republic and a democratic uh, government. Democratic uh, do- government means that it is a government by the people, for the people. And a republican government means that it is a government by representation. So if you could see, not all the people are, are, is running the government, right? Or it would be chaotic if ever everyone would be the servants for the people. So what we do or what our constitution did is, is that it asked for representatives to serve the people. So that's why our government officials are representatives of the people. And uh, they are the ones uh, who are running the government right now. So it's uh, both a democratic and a republican uh, government. All right. Thank you so much for that, Sir Jong. Now, um, on to the next question. We will tackle the branches or, let's say, the structure of the Philippine government. Uh, can, you enlighten about, can, can you enlighten us, especially our listeners, about the three branches of the government, sir, and how they're interconnected, how they are important, and how these things are important, especially in the upcoming national elections? Okay, so... The Constitution, or the 1997 Constitution of the Philippines, is our fundamental law of the land. It is also the law, or it is also the main basis on how our government has been structured and how it is run. So the three main branches of the government under our Constitution is the Executive Department, which is headed by the President, the Legislative uh, Department, which is headed two houses, uh, leaders of the houses of our Congress, the President of the Senate, as well as the uh, Speaker of the House for the um, lower house. And the third branch would be the Judiciary, uh, which is not an elect position, but an appointment one. So the three under the three branches, The executive and the legislative are the only ones that are elective. The judiciary is an appointive uh, one. So what does that mean? During elections, we only choose our leaders in the executive and in the the legislative. So when you uh, mentioned that, why is it important to vote? Because basically, these two branches are very, very um, powerful and uh, very important in our in our society. So the executive branch is the main branch that executes um, the law or executes the all the basic needs that we are uh, having right now. While the legislative branch are the ones who create the law. The judiciary they simply interpret the law. So that's the the powers of these branches. Uh, thank you so much, Attorney Jong. Now, so Attorney Jong talked about uh, the structure of the government more on the national scale. I'd like to ask Mr. Rafael Coscoluela, since we mentioned earlier, sir, that you served as both vice governor and governor of the province of Negros Occidental in the past years. 
I'd like to ask how are these three branches streamlined or decentralized in the local government units, especially, for example, let's make it in the context of Negros Occidental. Uh, thank you, Cristiano. Well, f- before I answer that, let me just add the three branches of government uh, mentioned by Attorney Jung are theoretically co-equal branches, okay? meaning neither of the three is above any of the other two. Theoretically, I say, because in actual practice, the office of the president, which is the head of the executive branch, has... Uh, extraordinary power over the two other branches. No? And that well, is explained partly by, number one, it is the president who appoints the members of the Supreme Court and the lower courts, uh, and therefore can exercise a very high level of influence over the appointed justices and judges. On the other hand, the legislative branch can also be influenced by the president, particularly if the majority party belongs to the party of the president, which is what's happening now. No, So there is a super majority that belongs to the party of the president. So whatever the president says tends to get followed by the Congress. Okay? So theoretical co-equal powers of the three branches tend to dissolve under the existing conditions. Uh, It is therefore important that when we elect our elective officials, it is very clear to us as to how they stand in terms of their dealings with the other branches of government, whether they will in fact respect the independence and co-equal powers of the other branches. No, among other things, no, uh, when you consider who to vote for. So I just wanted to add that in uh, to stress the fact that in theory, we have a democracy that is supposed to be representative of the people through its elected officials, but also designed in such a way as to keep the three different branches independent of each other. So therefore, you have your balance of powers, as it were. Of course, uh, when you talk about the actual situation, it's very different. Okay? That's something for our participants, our listeners, to think about more deeply. Now, with respect to your question, there is going to be a very, very significant change in government in general once the so-called Mandanas ruling is implemented. The Mandanas ruling is uh, related to the uh, case filed in the Supreme Court over the share of local governments from the national income. The Supreme Court decided that in line with petition of Governor Mandanas of Batangas, local governments should receive a share of all incomes of the national government, including collections of the Bureau of Internal Revenue and the Bureau of Customs. For the longest time, we the local governments have not had a share of the collections of the Bureau of Customs. Because of the Mandana's ruling, this share will add about 30 to 40% to the internal revenue allocation of local governments meaning there will be much more money available to local governments starting next year when the Mandana's ruling is implemented. But that also means that following executive order number 138 issued by the president, 
there is going to be a devolution or a transfer of functions and authorities from national line agencies to local governments. The most affected agencies would be the Department of Health, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Social Welfare and Development, how many other agencies, I cannot recall all of them now, but the frontline agencies, service agencies, are the ones most affected. Meaning, local governments will now have to perform the functions that used to be performed by national line agencies. What does this mean? This gives local government officials, particularly governors and mayors, considerably more resources and more powers. This can be easily abused or misused as a or in line with Executive Order 138 passed by the president. The Department of Local Government now or the DILG has been conducting a series of conferences among local governments to begin the process of devolution. And one of the major tasks of both local to prepare the devolution is going to be very, very complicated. Uh, in fact, many people are saying, madugo na proseso ito. Because many of the functions will be transferred, a lot of the money will be transferred, but the capacities or the ability to perform the functions may not be attuned to the transfer of functions, authorities, and resources. So there will be a lot of capacity building for local government units, which understandably because of the COVID pandemic will not be a situation where immediately after the results of the 2022 elections, you will have local government units swamped by the challenges uh, brought upon them by the devolution of powers and resources meaning the newly elected officials may not find it easy to immediately perform the devolved functions. Magkakagulo ng, ng konti before things settle down. So it's very important that we now begin to learn how to really choose the most qualified local officials. Because mas mabigat na ngayon ang trabaho and responsibilities of the local officials. Meaning you cannot be careless about who you elect into office because mas mabigat nga ang powers and responsibilities and resources. So it's going to be a big challenge, especially for the new voters to find ways to select the local candidates. And I'm not just talking about them, but also national candidates to find a way to select the candidates who are best suited for the jobs being applied for. And this is something, as a last point, this is something I'd like to impress upon our listeners. The people who will ask for our votes are applying for jobs the same way that all of us are applying for jobs whenever we go out and, and you know file an application for anything. So because they're applicants for jobs, it is our duty to know whether they are qualified for the jobs they're applying for. We have not been used to using this, this system. No? We tend to vote for candidates on the basis of personality, on the basis of popularity, on the basis of even money that they throw around. Now, I think it is so much more important for us to choose candidates on the basis of qualifications 
for the job that they're applying for. This is the challenge I'd like to throw to the new voters, especially those who are listening to us tonight. Thank you very much, Christian. Thank you so much, Sir Rafael. I believe um, Sir Rafael's inputs are very relevant, especially in Dumaguete City, most especially right now that, Duma- <laughs> that the Dumaguete City Local Government Unit has been experiencing so much clamor from the public. And yeah. I hope our viewers really took note of um, Sir Rafael's advice in holding accountable the local officials that we elect, most especially the national officials that we elect. Now, going back to um, the branches of the government, first off, um, with the executive branch. So this coming national elections, we will be electing our president and vice president. And as per our constitution, the qualifications for a president and vice president are only as follows. First, he should be a nation, natural-born Filipino. He, should be a, he or she should be a registered voter, must be able to read and write, and uh, must be 40 years of age at the day of the election. And lastly, he must have resided in the Philippines 10 years before the election is held. So for both Attorney Jong and Sir Rafael, do you think these qualifications are enough um, in choosing or in being qualified to run for office, especially holding such big, sp- such big positions uh, such as the president and vice president? If not, what do you think should our, vote, should our viewers, especially those who, are, do so, those who will be voting these elections, what should they look for in the candidates that they will be voting for? For Attorney Jong, you may go first. Yeah, I, I guess um, the wisdom of the makers of the Constitution or the framers of the Constitution is very well, um, I mean, it, it was well intended. But then I think because it, it gave everyone a chance to become a president, right? If ever you would put more uh, qualification there, like it, th- that person must have an MBA or must have a, a, like a doctorate degree, those people who might have very bad start, like those people who never went to school but then eventually learned the, uh, I mean, learned success or became successful based on street wisdom could never really be a president if you would add that, right? But then because if you don't go to elementary, you can never be in high school and you can never be in college and you can never have a doctorate degree. So that's why I think um, the wisdom was really good. The problem with that is that the popular and uh, those who have financial capacity yet unqualified could also become a president or a vice president. And I think the problem is not with the candidates. The problem is with the voters. And I I really uh, am happy and I really want to support you guys. When when you um, approach me, if I could be uh, one of your speakers, I I am really happy that uh, I could uh, be here with you tonight because I think it is really important that we educate the voters. We need to, to educate them that, hey, the job, like what uh, Sir Rafael mentioned earlier, I think that was really important if many of the people uh, or many of the voters would hear that because it would give them the emphasis that, hey, you need to know or you need to, uh, to vote qualified candidates because they have a very hard task ahead, right? 
because it, it's just like you having this business you have this investment for for this certain business and for example you have a million pesos as investment would you give it to somebody who you think is not qualified to to run that million and make it uh, grow maybe if you have so many uh, like you have a billion which 1 million would just be nothing right but then if that 1 million is all you have for sure you would really look for somebody who you think is qualified or capable to run that money so we must have that the same mindset when we vote for a for a leader especially our presidents this guy would be would be running our lives for the next six years you must know you, at least you must have this like that this confidence that hey he would be he would be able to um, make your make your life easier for the next six years and mind you after uh, i mean the act of the president does not stop after he is gone it could be affecting even your grandchildren and the children of your grandchildren later if he met, he creates a very big uh, mess right now so i i would suggest hey um even if indeed the there is a i mean the, the constitution made a made, made it easy for anyone to run as a as a president but as i said earlier the problem is not the one who is running it the problem is with the voters choosing for that unqualified person thank you so much for that attorney jong how about you sir rafael well yeah that's a good point no i i agree with attorney jong let me talk from the perspective of isambayan uh which has precisely been advocating for a change in the way we vote for for candidates there are four basic criteria that we're pushing for voters to consider before they actually select candidate these four uh, criteria are number one character you have to know the character of the person applying for the job especially if he or she is applying for president or vice president or senator or congressman or important government positions so character can mean a lot of things no but essentially what we're looking for is someone with integrity someone who whom we can trust someone who doesn't lie someone who uh, does what he or she promises so character is very important number two is competence you can be a good person uh, with with plenty of integrity honest etc no but if you're not competent you may not be able to run government properly so competence can involve a lot of things that means you need to know much much more than the usual person especially if you're running for these high elective positions a president for example would need to be at home with economics with psychology with uh, human relations with with uh, politics with international relations with so many things that you normally would not expect from an ordinary person in other words well-rounded well-studied very deliberate in decision making and knowledgeable so character and competence those are the first two the third is track record you need to know how a person has been in different aspects of his or her life 
uh, for example, if a person has come from local government, for example, as a councillor, a mayor, a congressman, or a governor, then how did he or she perform in those positions? Did he or she do well? Was the government unit that he or she uh, managed uh, able to to uh, garner any recognitions, awards for outstanding performance? How was the impact of his or her governance on the constituents that they serve? And we have never had this mindset that we ought to look into the track record of a candidate. So therefore, we need to do a lot of homework, which is what Isambayan is actually doing with all the nominees that have been submitted to the conveners. For example, a list of 25 senatorial candidates. We're looking at each one of those in terms of character, competence, and track record. For example, how did they do as legislators? How many bills and laws and resolutions did they pass? Uh, how many were of national significance? How many were actually beneficial to, to the nation or to the constituents? Uh, because marami din ang magkaklaim that they were able to pass many bills or laws that were purely local in nature. For example, a congressman can say, or a senator can say, oh, I passed many laws uh, of local significance. For example, renaming a school after the name of the donor of the lot. No, stuff like that, which has no national significance. So track record would be very important. And that includes the person's position on certain important issues. For example, if you're going to choose a candidate uh, or among uh, 20, 24 candidates for senator, do you know how each one of those stands in terms of their position on the anti-terror law, on political dynasties, on uh, corruption, and, and so many important national issues. No? Because once they sit in office, they might tend to forget that they represent you, and they will just begin to think about their own personal or vested interest. So it's important to know how a person stands in terms of so many different issues. No? But even, even, you know, the issue on, on equal rights for uh, LGBTQ, right? some people are outrightly biased or prejudiced against LGBTQ. No? So when you talk about equalization of uh, benefits or laws for all sectors, then you might have problems with a senator or congressman who is prejudiced. Okay, And there's a fourth criteria which is actually a bit controversial. And this has to do with a person's winability. Ang problema nating mga Pilipino, we tend to choose pe candidates because they're winnable. Diba? We don't like to vote for somebody. Wala namang chance yan eh. Why waste your vote for someone like that? If we continue with that attitude, the good people who do not have the money, the influence, or the popularity, or the national exposure will never get elected into important national positions. Because, ay, sayang lang ang boto natin dyan. It's not winnable. So instead of saying winability, we're saying the ability of a person to gain the support of a particular constituency and to wage a, a viable campaign before that constituency. So if it's... If a person is running for president, then you would have to know that the person at least has the ability to run a viable campaign nationwide and to gain support from the financial contributors and from the constituents. No? So four basic criteria that by tradition, Filipino voters have or tend to forget. Character, competence, track record, and 
the ability to wage a viable campaign. So I'm asking our new voters particularly to start thinking about these criteria and which means you need to do your homework. The person who is applying for a job and asking for your vote must prove that he deserves your vote. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sir Rafael and Attorney Jong. I actually share the same sentiments that we really need to increase our voters' education uh, mechanism so that, you know, on the day of the uh, national elections, we can actually vote for the right people. And hence, initiatives like Sugud Silaman, which really aims to educate voters, especially the youth, so that we can choose the right people to govern us in the next three or six years. Now, still on the topic of the um, executive branch of our government, uh, Attorney Jong and Sir Rafael. It is stated in the Constitution that both the President and the Vice President are not allowed to run for re-election. However, we just knew or we just read the news that President Duterte has actually declared that he will run for Vice President in the upcoming national elections. First question is, is it actually constitutional that a president will run for vice president uh, right after his term? And second, um, what are your thoughts on this? Like generally, what, what do you think of having a president, ha- having a president such as Duterte serve as a, pre- as a vice president right after his term? Maybe Sir Rafael can go first this time. Well, I, I know this is a controversial issue. no? And in fact, there are people who are already considering bringing this to the Supreme Court because it's a constitutional issue. Personally, I think it is unconstitutional for a president to run for vice president. Of course, that's really up to the Supreme Court to finally decide. But taking aside the constitutionality issue, I think it's a self-serving devious mechanism to retain the president's position of power. Because from my perspective, the president is looking for ways to protect himself from prosecution after the end of his term. As we all know, he's already facing uh, investigation before the ICC, the International Criminal Court. And if he finishes his term and becomes a private citizen, he will have no way of protecting himself from prosecution. So therefore, if he runs for vice president, in theory, he can retain his power. But the other thing that makes this practically a shameless effort is uh, attempt. The spirit of the Constitution Precisely that provision is there that prevents or disallows the re-election of a president. But when, when he runs for vice president, that's practically putting him back into the presidency, especially the one who wins the presidency is his running mate. Okay? So th- this is something that we should really be, in my opinion, angry about. The president is playing games with us and with the constitution. And we should send very strong signals that no, we are not going to even consider this shameless maneuver. And the earlier he can disabuse himself of this possibility that he can be elected as vice president, the better for the nation. But again, that's just my opinion. I really think it's unconstitutional. But assuming that he manages to get away with this maneuver, I think it's incumbent upon the Filipino voters to send them a clear message that no, you're not going to get away with this. Thank you so much for that, Sir Rafael. Um, how about you, Attorney Jong? 
Um, <laughs> I would just be um, giving my opinion on this based on the, I mean, based on the provisions of the Constitution as well as in the light of the case of former President Arroyo being able to run in, in Congress. Yes. And if we, if we would try to, to read, uh, I mean, to go between the two provisions, considering that that phrase there, re-election, was already considered as only for the, the same position, then probably he could run in the vice presidency. But yeah, then, yeah. as I said again, this question should not be more or less be even be litigated in courts. And this question should just be, be a judge or decided by the people. If in other words, it's a political, it's a political yeah. issue. Yes. Yeah. Um, the Supreme Court might decide that. Make it a political issue, no? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So, go ahead, go ahead, attorney. Yeah, because if ever um, we trust in the wisdom of the people, this should not even be asked. Because people, if this could have, if this could have happened in like Western countries, like in the U.S., and they would um, try to put that idea, maybe I think the people would just laugh at, at it as something that is really inconceivable. But right now we are having this kind of like somewhat like bothered by it because we don't trust on the wisdom of the people. And yeah, as I said earlier, if we could have more people like you guys going to the public and making this educational voters, uh, I mean, educational drive on our voters, I think this is the only solution on how we could solve this problem, how we could um, really empower our people to really just choose the right um, people there. Because as uh, personally, delicadesa-wise, he should not run, right? Um, you've already been the, the master. Why run um, as, the, as, as the second um, in command, right? Oh, I mean, it, it is, I mean, if you're in the corporate um, world, it is inconceivable. But then, yeah, um, in politics, there are too many uh, reasons why they would have do. I mean, they would need to do that. As mentioned by uh, Sir Rafael earlier, it could be a way to uh, get away with a crime because of the immunity of a vice president. But then, yeah, um, as I said, if we just empower the people. I think this is the the main, uh, I mean, permanent solution of all the problems we have in the government right now. Um, if the people just know how to choose wisely. Thank you so much, Attorney Jong and Sir Rafael. And banking on that idea, I hope that our viewers tonight will, after this, we also try to influence our own social circles, go to the grassroots even if we can, so that we can get more people join us in this movement in choosing the right people. Uh, to govern us in the next again three or six years. For the last question, um, on the on the talks of our executive branch, the only or technically the role expected from a vice president is to substitute for the vice for the president in case he or she is um incapable of doing his or her own responsibilities. Seeing that this is the only expectation that we have for a vice president, 
what else uh attorney jong and sir rafael what else do you think should we look for a vice president this coming um national elections and sometimes you only focus on the president and we take for granted vice president as the second highest position so what else do should we look for um in a vice president and what else should we expect from a vice president um attorney jong you can go first this time for the vice president yeah you are correct um the vice president is just really a sitting duck there unless the president would give him something to do so i suggest look for a, a vice president is somewhat could also really work with your uh, president of choice because it is a waste of money if we would really have a, a vice president that cannot work with our president so I, I would suggest look for a, a vice president that has the president's qualities, of course, because event, the eventuality of a president dying or resigning or being terminated is very, very high. With the stress level of, of a, a, a president's uh, job, for sure, many could really, I mean, even with just a simple stress level in a very small uh, company, it would already... create lots of problems in your health, how much more running an entire archipelago, right? So look for a vice president that is really qualified to become a president. And also, as I said earlier, look for a vice president that could work with the president of your choice because it is really just a waste of money if we continue this kind. I think we have this for two terms already that our vice president has never been really uh, doing something. So I think um, we really have to to choose a, a vice president that could compromise um, with the president. Sir Rafael, what's your thought on what's Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. You know, we, we need to remember that the vice president is just a heartbeat away from the presidency. I mean, you know, we're all human. A president can go anytime. Therefore, that means the vice president can be overnight the next president. And therefore, he or she must be equally qualified for the presidency. And I also agree with Attorney Jung that while he or she remains the vice president, he or she should also be capable of working with the president. Now, we have a peculiar situation in the Philippines. We vote separately for president and vice president. And as happens very often, The president and the vice president belong to different parties. In fact, they belong to opposite political poles. And therefore, they end up being hostile or uncooperative with each other. You know, as a side issue, I really feel that the president and vice president should be elected as one and the same so that you're sure you have a team. And that means the candidate for president needs to select a candidate for vice president that is equally qualified. Let me shift to a specific example of what a vice president can be, even if the conditions are not ideal. And we're talking about Vice President Lenny Robredo, who showed from from many different occasions that she was willing and able to cooperate with the president, but unfortunately was not allowed to do so. She was given a very short chance to serve as anti-drugs czar, and the president got uncomfortable with her position and removed her uh, in a very short 
period of time. But since then, the office of the vice president has shown that it can be functional in spite of the fact that it, it holds absolutely no executive functions or authorities. I actually wish it were not so. I mean, I wish that the president and the vice president were working together to try and solve the many problems that we're facing. So let this also be a specific lesson for all of us, all of us who are going to vote in 2022, that when we vote or when we select a candidate for president carefully, we should just be as careful when we select the vice president. Always with this thought that the vice president is only a heartbeat away from the presidency. So we should make sure that the vice president is also capable of running the country. All right. Thank you so much, Attorney Jong and Sir Rafael, for that. Now we will proceed to the discussion on about our legislative branch of our government. So as we all know, uh, the Senate is actually composed of 24 senators, but we elect half of them every three years. And um, the entire Senate is not uh, totally dissolved altogether. Can any of you enlighten us why is this the case and why is, why is this um, the process in choosing our senators? Um, any, of, uh, any of you, sir, can answer? Can, can you repeat the question, Christian? Why? Uh, why is it that only why half what? of... Why only, why only half of the Senate is elected ah. every three years and the other half in the next three years? Why is it not? Why are they not elected altogether? All at one time. Yes, sir. That's for continuity, no? among other reasons. Uh, you don't want to see a situation where all 24 senators graduate at the same time and leave all 24 positions vacant for entirely new batch of senators. Diba? That could be a little. Uh, unsettling. So the theory is let half graduate uh, on three separate years, on three years separately from the other 12, so that there is at least some continuity. And um, that explains why some senators are voted for six years or get elected into a six-year term and other senators get elected only to a three-year term. So you have a set of senators graduating at the same time, but not all of them. So I, I think it, it's a good arrangement. Uh, and um, it allows us to select another batch of senators who will hopefully be better than the ones that just graduated. But again, we tend to be very careless about the way we select senators. We've, we've elected basketball players, actors, singers, uh, what else? You know, very, in other words, people who, who are popular with a national exposure tend to get elected as senator. And it's, you know, believe it or not, it's actually very difficult to get elected as senator because you need a national constituency, meaning you have to have exposure. How do you get exposed? Through media, uh, through sports. For, for example, no Manny Pacquiao gets elected as senator because of his national exposure. Freddie Webb, uh, Robert Jaworski, uh, they got elected as senators because of their national exposure as basketball stars. Who else? Mga singers or movie stars? Erap Estrada got elected as senator because 
again, popularity. Uh, somebody like Christian or Attorney Jung, you don't, or me, we don't have a chance of getting elected as senator because we don't have the exposure, which brings us to this other question that's related. Should senators be elected at large, meaning a national constituency, or should senators now be elected by region? What is the implication? If senators get elected by region, then you're sure that all the regions get representation in the Senate. Right now, most of the senators do not represent the, the regions. They have their national constituencies, but most of them are really just based in Metro Manila. So you have very little representation for the rest of the country in the, in the Senate. No? Uh, it, it's something that we ought to think about, although the issue is not uh, presenting itself at this time. When we begin to talk about, for example, charter chains or a government reform, reform in the structure, maybe we should start thinking about that also no? to ensure equitable representation of all the regions. Thank you. On my end, I, I think... The, the wisdom of the framers of the Constitution is basically just for practicality, more or less. You have to spend so much in running in a, a senatorial uh, position, yet if you would just give these persons um, three years, then that would be, they may not be uh, able to get back from their investment, I guess. Some, some, I think that's the, uh, that's the, the wisdom. So, uh, and then the reason why it, half was, is just for three, I mean, is half, half would be elected for uh, three years. And then, I mean, the, the next would be on the next uh, three years is basically just to make sure that um, there would be somebody who would be voted upon uh, every three years as a senator, uh, because yeah. it would be like a, a very um, ugly situation wherein. For this year, I mean, for this election, you won't be uh, voting for a senator, and then and the next election, there would be, I mean, there would be uh, senators. Uh, I mean, all twenty-four would senators would be voted there. So yeah. probably that's the reason why um, they 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 did that. Um, yeah, just basically for practicality purposes. Uh, thank you so much, Attorney Jong and Sir Rafael. The discussions were really fruitful and unfortunately our time is almost up but i'd like to ask permission from both of you sir can we entertain um probably two to three questions from our live because uh, sure, our sure. listeners have quest of questions so first question maybe any of you can answer sir and attorney how about the independent constitutional offices do they also have their own rules or extraordinary powers yes definitely i think it's healthy for a democracy to have independent constitutional commissions. It provides for, again, the, the, the system of checks and balances. No? For example, the Commission on Audit. That is, in theory and practice, independent of all the other branches of government. They have their own budget. The president can't fool around with any commission, although... Uh, this particular president we now have seems to think that, you know, the commissions deserve less respect. Uh, we should, in fact, find ways to continue strengthening the commissions. You have your, your COMELEC, for example, the Commission on Elections, Commission on Audit, and all these other commissions that 
in theory and practice, strengthen a democracy. We should make sure that those commissions are protected and uh, continue to uh, be able to perform their mandated functions. So yeah, uh, good for democracy when we have healthy and strong commissions. All right, so uh, we'll proceed to the next question. Thank you so much, Rafael, for that. Um, in recent news, there are uh, a lot of people are actually calling for the amendment of the Constitution. This is in line with Sir Rafael's uh, statement earlier. Uh, so do you think, Sir Rafael and Attorney Jong, is there really a need to change the 1987 Philippine Constitution immediately or as, at the soonest time possible? For me, we cannot change the, the problem unless we don't change the main cause of it. I think all of our problems right now is basically could be tracked because of how our constitution had, has been framed. And yeah, I think there are a lot of um, needed uh, reforms that has to be done. And I think our laws could only do so much just because our um, constitution had already limited their powers uh, to reform uh, those. Uh, I mean, so more or less, I think, yeah, there is really a need to, to change the, the constitution and um, to make it more... Um, probably not perfect, but then more um, attuned with what is uh, really happening in society. So um, I guess, yeah, it, there is really a need uh, to reform. And the soonest we could do that, uh, the better, I guess. How about you, sir, uh, Raf? Maybe? Well, th there are reasons why we need to change the constitution. And there are reasons why we should not even try at this time. Okay, let me start with the reasons why we should consider changing the constitution. Number one, we need a structural reform in government. I, I, I think this is what Attorney Jong was partly referring to. Uh, personally, you know, I used to favor uh, a shift to federalism, but um, after much thought, um, <clears throat> There are two reasons why I no longer favor a shift to federalism. Number one is because of the Mandana's ruling. The, the main reason why people were, were asking for a shift to federalism was because of the over-centralization of powers in the national government and the over-concentration uh, of resources at the national government level. With the Mandana's ruling and the total devolution that is going to happen, you don't need the reasons anymore for federalism, okay? Because the money and the authorities will, in fact, be transferred to local governments. On the other hand, I was also in favor of a shift to a parliamentary system, which is, I think, more, um, I think, more attuned to. Uh, the situation in the Philippines where non-performing uh, national government officials can be removed by a parliament, okay? Um, in, in other words, a parliament would now consider the prime minister as somebody who is the chief employee, okay, the head employee. If you perform well, you keep your job. If you don't, then you lose it. Without, through, without going through the divisive electoral process. 
and there are so many other things going for par- for for a parliamentary form of government, uh, which we don't have the time to discuss. Now, on the other hand, what are the reasons against touching the constitution at this time? Number one, and to me the biggest reason is because of the self-serving um, intentions exhibited by the members of Congress. There have been many attempts already to change the constitution, and the the motivations have been to allow the president to run again, okay, to remove the term limits of the president and the other elective officials. That in itself, I think, is, well, controversial and self-serving. So there were attempts before to change the constitution, and these were turned down by, by the public because of this obvious self-serving motivations. The other reason why it's dangerous to touch the Constitution at this time, if you cannot trust Congress, is because for the longest time, the Constitution has actually provided for a ban on political dynasties subject to the passage of an enabling law. And who passes the enabling law? It's the very people who are or who belong to political dynasties, which is why this enabling law has never been passed against the political dynasties because what's the study? I think something like 65 or more percent of the present members of Congress belong to political dynasties. So uh, when you give uh, Congress the chance to amend the Constitution or to revise it, there's every possibility that they will insert that provision that will erase the provision against political dynasties. The same reason why I now don't really favor federalism is because we will end up with the creation of many political dynasties, or rather an increase in the number of political dynasties throughout the country. We already have enough, but if you have a federal form of government and you allow Congress to touch the Constitution, uh, removing the term limits, you are going to perpetuate and strengthen political dynasties, meaning you are going to weaken democracy because you're no longer giving a chance to other people to participate in governance because you know, uh, elective positions will be under the absolute control of political dynasties. Okay, so it, it's it's we know we need to have uh, structural reform in government. If we could convince, for example, Congress, okay, let's have a resolution. We will amend the constitution only for this specific purpose and nothing else. Right now, they're saying. We're going to amend the constitution to, to amend the economic provisions, okay? But there is no promise that they will not fool around with it to amend the other provisions. So uh, eventually, I think we'll have to face the reality that we need to change the constitution, but we have to be very careful about how to go about it. All right. Thank you so much once again, Attorney Jong and Sir Rafael. Now, in conclusion, uh, I'd like to ask you maybe just brief messages to our viewers why they should register to vote if they haven't already. And for those who are already registered and who will register, why they should vote and not only vote, but vote for the right people. 
Uh, Sir John, uh, Attorney John? Um, yeah, I, I think, um, as I said earlier, everyone should um, try to do their, uh, I mean, that's what uh, Mr. Uh, Sir uh, Rafael said earlier, they, they should do their homework. And um, in try, when they vote, uh, I mean, when they go to the uh, voting pool later. And um, I would like to read the phrase in the case of Kabataan Party List and um, versus Comelec case. Um, the mm-hmm. Supreme Court said, the right of suffrage lies in the heart of our constitutional democracy. The right mm-hmm. of every pe- Filipino to choose the leaders who will lead the country and participate to the fullest extent possible in every and national election is so zealously guarded by the fundamental law that is that it devoted an entire article solely therefore so it is very important wherein the right to vote is actually part or given a very special um article in the constitution so you must not um you must not waste it by just um, receiving or the this uh, we we know of course uh, it is a, a public knowledge um, we we vote for conscience but because uh, we get, we were given like twenty pesos we are now um um nata because we we accepted the twenty pesos and we will not vote for that person. So <laughs> maybe that's your um, voting by conscience. Conscience, but then for me, um, voting by conscience is not accepting that money at all, mm. and a vote based on who you really think is qualified. Not because he is popular, not because you think he is winnable, but because that is the most qualified person. So yeah. Um, during our um, uh, voting season, try to do your uh, research, try to do um, your homework, and know all the candidates. As what um, Sir Rafael said earlier, these people are applying for a job wherein you are the boss. You are the one who will say he, he is qualified or not and be given that position. So exercise it wisely. Yeah. Well, on my end, uh, Christian, uh, we we tend to think of rights, no, uh, the sacred right to vote, for example, human rights, etc. We deserve to have our rights respected, but very often we forget about our responsibilities. Okay, we expect a lot from government, but we don't expect a lot from ourselves. No. So what I'd like to leave our uh, participants tonight is it is time to be responsible for the exercise of your right to vote. Okay, uh, It is no longer just a question of whether you voted or whether you cast your vote in 2022. It has to be a case where you cast your vote for the best possible candidates. and. Uh, after that, we should not uh, follow the, the, the thinking that it is now up to government to do its job and serve the people. And then, tayo naman, we forget that we also have rights as citizens. Okay, So let me just end by saying, 
or by stressing uh, the importance of both rights as well as responsibilities. These two should have the same weight, and that goes especially for the new voters in 2022. All right. Thank you so much once again, Attorney Jong and Sir Rafael. And there you have it, Salemanians. That ends our show for tonight. Once again, before we end, we would like to thank our esteemed guest speakers for tonight, Attorney Jong Benidian and Mr. Rafael Coscoluela. Thank you so much, sir, for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, and even your personal experiences with us. We are certain that our viewers are much more enlightened about um, what to do for the upcoming national elections. Once again, thank you so much. And to everyone who tuned in tonight, thank you so much as well. We hope to have you in the future episodes of Pag-usapan natin to. Our next episode will be on September 1, and we will talk about left, center, and right the political spectrum. We will also be having esteemed guest speakers, so you you should definitely not miss it. And before we end, I'd like to acknowledge our partners and our sponsors. So Sugud Seleman, pag-usapan natin to, is in partnership with Seleman University Psychology Society, Renaissance Youth Leaders Forum, Seleman University Junior Marketing Association, Ang Sandigan, SUSG Special Projects Committee, Rotaract Club of Dumaguete, Diwa Organization. Sugod Seleman is also in cooperation with Samahan ng Progresibong Selemanian, Project Space Impact, Seleman Operations Management Executive Society, and we would also like to express special thanks to Silingan Zanorte Selemanites, Kasanga, Seleman University College of Education Student Organization, and Amihang Mindanao Selemanians. Once again, thank you so much to everyone who tuned in tonight. This has been Christian Entrata, your moderator, and this is Pag-usapan natin to, brought to you by Sugod Seleman. Thank you so much everyone. Good night and have a pleasant evening.